I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 14. The message today is for those whose hearts are troubled. Right now, you're troubled, you're stressed. And for those whose hearts will be troubled tomorrow, the things I'm going to share could sound like cliches, but if you'll hear me out, you may find real help and real hope and find that it's been in the Bible all along. So allow today for the God of all comfort to comfort you. Now, some of us, you're out of the habit of flipping pages, you know, to go to the passage or to scroll to the passage, depending on if you're on a a smart device or not. I encourage you to go to the passages you're able to and see it with your eyes and let the word of God minister more directly to you. So John 14, verse 1, Jesus says this, which could sound like a cliche, but only if we don't understand. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So here's the cliche understanding of this verse. The heart of a Christian won't be troubled because they believe in Jesus. That's the cliche version. Now, if that's the version that you think is true, then you're going to have a tough time when you're going through trouble and you're at church at the same time. Because you're at church. People are like, how are you? And you're like, I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not supposed to be troubled. But that is definitely not the understanding, right? And it's certainly not my experience because... If, if I view it this way, if I think, oh, if I'm a Christian, I simply won't be troubled, my heart won't be troubled, then that's obviously not what life is like for me and you. It can lead to fakeness in fellowship, and it can lead to a sense of despair when you're troubled because you don't realize this is for when you're troubled, not a statement that you'll never be in trouble. So I did a word search on this word. It's tarasso, the word troubled. Let not your heart be troubled, tarasso. And if you do a word search on this word, you find out that there's one person in the Gospel of John, where we are, John 14, right? In the Gospel of John, there's one person who's troubled more than anyone else in that Gospel. One person who has more troubles, whose heart is more bothered with the things going on than anyone else in the Gospel. It's Jesus, the one who's telling you, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. At Lazarus' funeral, Jesus shows up. It's John 11.33, so if you flip back a couple pages or you, you, you swipe back a couple screens, depending on how you're doing it here. John 11.33, it says, Therefore, at the funeral of Lazarus, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. This isn't just saying that he was going through Hard times. It's talking about internally troubled. You know what I'm talking about. That feeling in your chest or in the pit of your stomach. Anxiety. Unpleasantness. Right? The the stuff that causes physical sickness symptoms when you're feeling it too much. That's the kind of thing. He's troubled. If you go to John 12, 27, go another chapter forward. John 12, 27 Jesus, just before the crucifixion, here's how he describes his state. Notice he doesn't say, I am so good with what's about to happen right now. He says, now my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. And again, in John 13, 21, go another chapter over. It says in John 13, 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit 
troubled in his spirit. And he's speaking about his impending crucifixion. And he said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He was not okay with what was about to happen. He was committed to it, but he wasn't good with it. Right? He wasn't like, I'm totally cool with this right now. He went through a lot of stuff. These are, these are, this is the moment where just a few verses later, he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. He just told them, I am deeply troubled, but you don't let your hearts be troubled. So, so we get this also in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 14, 34, he says it again. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. You ever been worried to death? That's what he's describing here. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Jesus here is being so very real and tangible to us and relatable to me and you, if you're real about it, right? He was deeply, deeply troubled. He was a man acquainted with sorrow, the scripture says. In fact, Isaiah describes him this way, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Jesus doesn't have any filter on his Instagram for you to see what he looks like here and get like the, the perfect version of him. He wants you to have the real version of him because that is the perfect version. He was deeply troubled. Yet at the same time, let's not go overboard with this, right? At the same time, Jesus had peace and joy in the midst of those difficult moments of trouble. That's the key to the Christian faith as it applies to trouble. He has peace and joy right then and there when it's like the worst of the worst, when he's troubled to death. He tells us this in John 14, 15, 16. He's like, my peace I leave with you. My joy, you'll have my joy and the world won't be able to take it away from you. We get this, that there was this joy that was set before him and we're supposed to follow, follow, not follow, I don't know what that is. Some kind of ingredient they put in marshmallows, I think. We're supposed to follow Jesus Christ in the, in the issue of basically saying, look, yes, I am deeply troubled, Lord, but I still have a peace that comes from you that is bigger than that. I am sick to death over the things that are going on, but I have hope and joy that is set before me that is allowing me to press on. That's the kind of help we have. It doesn't mean escape from trials. It means to plow through them in faith. That's the idea. So what did Jesus mean when he says in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Well, it comes at a moment right before their world's about to change. Remember the original audience, the disciples. They're, they're about to see Jesus, whom they love and trust, whom they think is going to reign and rule right away. They're going to see him crucified. They're going to run away and hide. And they're going to feel like all their hopes have been dashed. And it's, that's about to happen. And he goes, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. When it will be the hardest for them to believe in him, because everything looks so terrible, because everything doesn't make sense, that's when he's like, yeah, you need to believe in me. And that will be the help for your troubled heart. Imagine losing Jesus. Imagine walking with him for three years. We've all lost people in our lives who were, de- not just who we loved, but we depended on, right? Like, man, I, I lean on that person. And then they're gone. And how that unsettles our lives. Well, they're about to lose Jesus. In John 16, if you flip there, John 16, verse 20, you can look at how he describes what they're about to go through. After he's just told them in John 14 to not be troubled, believe in him. He says in John 16, 20, most assuredly I say to you that you will weep 
and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. So he's, he's telling them you have to have just a bigger picture of the thing you're going through. You see now is the moment you're in, but you've got to see it in context of the joy that's coming. That's the idea. Verse 21, he says, a woman when she's in labor has no sorrow because her hour has come, but is, excuse me, she has sorrow. Sorry, ladies, I didn't mean to say you had no sorrow. I think you probably had a lot. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I don't know, personally, and I don't want to, the thing where they hook you up and like zap you, like, like that's like the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Why would, why would anybody do the thing that no woman would want to do if she had a choice? So, you know what I'm talking about? That whole simulated labor thing. Yeah, that's weird. All right, so John 16, 21, he says, a woman when she's in labor has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Temporary pain, permanent joy. Temporary trials, permanent glory. And our perspective on our trials, to not let our hearts be troubled, it's not about ignoring what's happening. It's about backing up and seeing it in the context of eternity and the joy that is coming. That's the key. I think that this statement in John 16 was to the disciples, but the application of it is to us as well today, right now for the trials you're going through and the ones you haven't yet experienced. Because life will hit with trials that you didn't realize could, could even happen. Right? You know what I mean. And you're like, I didn't know this was even a thing. People go through this? This is what this is like? I want a refund. I, I want a better life. I don't want to be adulting right now. <laughs> Which is like the most cop-out phrase I've ever heard in the world. <laughs> but, but yes, I get, I get the feeling though. So, that, so Jesus, he gives them something to do when their soul is troubled. He says, trust in me. Just trust in me. It's this simple like belief in Jesus. I just believe in him. Why? Because he's made all these promises about the certain future. And while I'm going through this difficult time, I still have his promises and I can hold on to those and I can trust in those. Trust in me. So the question for you today is, do you see how trusting in Jesus helps your troubled heart? Does it like click for you? This is important because your trials in life will get super duper big and you need to have a very real tangible trust and perspective on the future. So turn with me to John 16.33. In fact, I'd, I'd encourage you for homework, read John 14 all the way through John 16 and just see how it all ties together, this idea of why we can trust in Christ in our troubled times. John 16.33 says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So it's a promise of tribulation, but it's, a, but it's also a statement of fact. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And this is where it gets good. Because like, what does Jesus mean he's overcome the world? This is something you can hope in right now today. The world here seems to represent anything that isn't part of that future kingdom of God. Can you think of anything you face today that you will still be facing as a problem in eternal glory? Think about this for just a second. Can you think of any trial you're going through that's not temporary? I can't. Do you see how the tangible promise of future glory changes our perspective today? The sin, the sorrow, the stress, the pain, the illness, the job issues, political fears, 
worries about the spiritual state of the world, wars, persecution, taxes, taxes, no? Just throw that in there just in case. It's like, you know, just after April 15th. Whatever your stresses are, our current state is not affected or affecting our future promises. 1 Peter 1.4 puts it this way. Think about this. It's so beautiful the way it's put. 1 Peter 1.4 says we are, we are adopted and we are promised an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Now, some of us watch as we get older, our parents causing our inheritance to fade away. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of us, some of us have experienced this, and some of us don't. We're like, yo, go mom and dad, right? But some of us, it's like, there goes the inheritance. It's like, the inheritance we have in Christ does not fade. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's just that simple principle of eternal glory versus temporary gory of life. The point is that our hope isn't wrapped up in this life. This life can't even touch my hope. But some of us as Christians, where you're going through trials right now, or you will be soon, and you're, you're viewing your trial as though you're not a Christian. You're like, you're like stuck in Ecclesiastes instead of being over here in Jesus. And you're like not seeing it. You're acting like this moment is the only moment. You ever see your kids do this? Right, when they're really little and they act like the moment of stress that they're experiencing is their whole life. And you're looking at me and you say things to them like, when you're older, you'll understand. And you're like, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> That's what they told me, told me when I was younger. And you tell them that and then they look at you and they're like, you don't understand. And you're like, no, you don't understand. And the Lord looks at you and goes, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? We're, we're still children. We just, have, we just think maybe in years or even in decades, instead of in five-minute segments, when God's trying to ask us to think about eternity. So don't let your heart be troubled, he says. Don't let anxiety and worry be the end point of your thought process. That's the idea. Turn your eyes to heaven, to Jesus. You're bummed, you're overwhelmed even. Um, but sometimes, and, and this is so key, sometimes it's the trials of this life and the struggles that you're going through that are smashing you up against the hope you have in Christ. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said something like, I've learned to kiss the crashing wave that presses me against the rock of ages. We see this in the Psalms. I mean, think about this. Go through the Psalms and imagine how many of these Psalms never would have been written if the guy wasn't going through terrible things. They drove him to the Lord. God is my refuge. Why? Because life is great. Refuge from what? <laughs> Life can be tough. So be in prayer, be seeking, be falling upon the Lord and let your trials be the thing that God is using to push you closer to him. Paul understood this, right? In Philippians 4, 6, he tells us, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Anxiety should drive you to prayer. That's the idea. Paul had his own stresses daily. He talks about this. He wasn't always maybe, maybe he wasn't always happy, even though he always had joy. I kind of think of those as different things. He says that daily what comes upon him is the, his deep concern for all the churches. He considered it like a stressful thing, his worry about all the churches that he had, he had planted. 
2 Corinthians 12.10, he says, he takes pleasure in his infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and in distresses, or stress, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul literally thought that the hard stuff in life that made him feel weak and incapable and insecure caused him to depend upon and rely upon God, and I'm just thinking, like, maybe he was right. Maybe, just maybe the Holy Spirit inspired that because you need it and I need it. And he allowed Paul to go through it and talk about it because you would go through it and you needed to hear about it. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, we like to say, God will work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And you're like, yeah, but what's the good he's working in this situation? Well, Romans 8, 29, it says, well, that you may be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, you mean I want him to change my trials and he wants my trials to change me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes prosperity can be bad for your spirit. And trials can drive you to Christ. There's one kind of stress I haven't mentioned, and I want to mention it real quick, and that is the stress that we can experience over sin. Sometimes you're grieved and you're bummed out and you're struggling and you're stressful because there's sin in your life. And there's the most beautiful word one of the most beautiful words in the Bible that I want to share with you, and it's the word repent. Don't heal that stress by saying God's going to use it. You need to deal with that by getting on your knees and repenting and getting your accounts clear before God. That's what 1 Corinthians talks about, or 2 Corinthians talks about, is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And that's if there's a sin issue, may God be revealing to our hearts when there's things we need to worry about that are there. There is that promise of forgiveness. Repent. It's one of the most beautiful words in the Bible because it carries with it the promise of forgiveness. God never says turn around unless he's allowing you to turn around. You need to have that hope. So the ultimate help for our troubled hearts is John 14, 1, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In other words, trusting the one who has overcome the world is the one-size-fits-all answer to our weary souls. It doesn't mean you won't have any trouble. It, doesn't, it just means you're not going to simply sit there and let yourself be troubled. You're going to take that issue and you're going to bring it in faith to Christ. And you're going to see it as a temporary thing that God is using to shape your character and change you to make you more dependent on Christ. This is Christianity 101 and you never graduate from it. So your job, last verse, your job, 1 Peter 1.13. It says, therefore, actually, I'll let you turn there. You've got you to turn there because you have to underline this verse if you haven't underlined the whole book of 1 Peter yet. 1 Peter 1.13, or you highlight it and you make a note and you save it in your database. Is that a thing? I don't know. 1 Peter 1.13, it says, think of this as your job right now for the troubles you face. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So you're preparing your brain for this work. And it's not just intellectual, but it's focused and purposeful. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's saying you need to have your hope in the future revelation of Christ, not in the present resolution of your problems. Sorry. But that's where we find ourselves depending on Christ, 
growing in Christ, thriving in Christ in the midst of suffering and sorrow and shame and pain and all other things that we go through. Because we've rested our hope not in this life and not in this moment, but in the certain glory that is coming with the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the, the band up because um, we're going to get ready to partake of communion. I realize that with my glasses, I actually can't see the clock and have no idea what time it is. Okay. All right, good. Not knowing what time it was made me move faster, which is probably good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you have homework. And your homework is to do the thing that you tell your kid to do and to think a little bigger than the moment you're in. It doesn't change the struggles of right now. It just puts them in perspective. It doesn't mean you don't have any troubles. It just means you're not just simply letting yourself be troubled. You're applying your faith to that scenario and that situation. You're girding up the loins of your mind. You're being sober. You're resting your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to us in the revelation of Christ. So um, we're going to be partaking of communion today. And communion is a really neat thing. It is, it is meant for people who believe in Jesus as we do this. If you partake of communion, you're saying you believe in Christ. You're proclaiming that you're part of his body, the church. It's also a beautiful opportunity for repentance and for reflection. As we get ready to sing this first song, I'm going to ask everybody, please... Um, you know, come down and you'll, you'll grab the elements. You'll take, if you haven't done this before, you're going to take one of these little cups and you'll take one little, little piece of uh, cracker and we'll, we'll explain those a little bit to you. Just hold on to them. Just hold them with you and we'll partake together like as a group. The primary thing here is to recognize Jesus' broken body for you and his blood poured out and what it means for you. And here's the thing and how this relates to the issue of today of whatever struggles or trials you might be going through. As you partake of communion, you're saying, I trust in Christ. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Your choice to trust in Christ in light of your trials is not unlike your choice to trust in Christ in light of your sins, in light of your death, in light of his life, in light of his promise. So let's, uh, let's all stand, please. And Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who went through the worst trials um, of anyone ever. And he did it for the joy that was set before him. And Lord, we have a joy that is set before us. Give us the mind of Christ towards our trials. We look to you. We pray, Lord, that right now as we have communion would be a time of repentance if it's needed for anyone, Lord restoration, forgiveness, confidence in your grace, a time of choosing to trust in you in light of our trials, and a time of rejoicing in our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This communion, we call it communion. It means we're coming together, and it's we're coming together in Christ. The, the union is in Jesus Christ. His, his body represented by the cracker, made without leaven, Bread made with no leaven, because he has no sin. Pierced, as Jesus was pierced for us. Notice that it is not cut, it is broken. To symbolize what he did on the cross for us. His body was broken for us. He, in our place, 
went to suffer for the sins that we have committed. In 1 Corinthians 11.23 it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. So as we partake, we're acknowledging the sorrow and the breaking of Christ's body and what it purchased for us. Jesus, before you ever received him, he offered himself to you. So we have God reconciling us to himself through the broken body of Christ who came to bear our sins and our sorrows and our griefs. I hope you see the overwhelming joy because he did this for the joy that was set before him. And that's you being saved. That's pretty powerful. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body broken. We receive in faith what you did for us. We trust in Christ that by faith alone we have received the righteousness of God because of Jesus' sacrifice. We trust you, Lord. Amen. Let's partake. In that same passage in 1 Corinthians 11 where it's 2,000 years ago, we have believers, our brothers and sisters, doing the same communion. And it says there, it goes on, in the same manner also, at that same meal, at that same moment where Jesus was revealing to them what he had done, what he would do. It says, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. A covenant is a promise. It's the promise of forgiveness. It's the promise of God's love, of God's grace, and it is purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us to bring us atonement, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us grace. The promise is grace and forgiveness of your sin. The promise is eternal life as a child of God, and the promise is that you are brought into his family of love. It's the simplicity of Christianity that is so beautiful to me. As we partake of this, we're saying, I trust you, Jesus. And if you trust Jesus with your salvation and your eternal future, how can you not trust him with the trials you're going through today? Lord, we thank you so much for your blood poured out. Jesus, we are forever yours. We're washed and cleansed by you. We're purchased by you. And we rejoice in belonging to you. We owe you everything. We love you, we bless your name, and we proclaim our trust in Christ even now. Amen. Let's partake. Now the next verse in that passage in, in 1 Corinthians 11, just going to verse 26, the very next verse, God gives us commentary on the meaning of this communion thing we just did. And he says, uh, tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Meaning that even communion is done in the perspective of eternity, in the perspective of the coming, the certain coming of Christ. We don't partake without reminding ourselves of what happens next. Again, your job is to set your hope upon the glory that shall be revealed upon that future thing until he comes. And the last thing I want to share with you today before we close in a time of worship is Revelation 21.4 as it describes what life is like when Jesus comes. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away.